Shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish. We are this week in the Torah portion of Teruma. Teruma is the word for a donation used today even in modern day Hebrew. There's other words in the Davah, but the word Teruma comes from the Torah. And what it basically means is God started a building campaign, a building campaign for the building of the Holy Tabernacle in the in the uh, desert okay so if I want to just start with a little bit of history so let's start with the history of the evolution from Mishkan Moshe the tabernacle that Moses built in the desert to what ended up happening to be the not happening to be what ended up becoming the holy temple on Mount Temple in Jerusalem there's an evolution in history how that happened okay so first we have a mobile tabernacle which is continuously being disassembled and reassembled as the Jews are moving. And then somehow that evolved into the amazing permanent construction, the edifice of the Holy Temple on Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So let's just go a little bit through that history, okay? So let's start with how it all began. It all began with the verse in the beginning of this week's Torah portion. And what does it say? Ve'asuli migdash v'shechanti betocham. And... They shall make for me a sanctuary, and I shall rest in them. Plural. Which is problematic. It should have just said, rest in it. God said to make one. So why do you go from singular to plural? So simply speaking, our sages say that this them refers to prophetically the Mishkan is going to turn into a Mishkan Shiloh, which is going to turn into the first temple, which is going to turn into the second temple, and then speedily in our days, the third and final temple. So this, so one interpretation is that it is that prophetic statement. I will dwell in all of them throughout the history of the Jewish people. So let's talk about the them, okay? Again, I'm not talking about every single place the Mishkan moved. There are other places that it moved in between. I'm just talking about the places in which it evolved into a different type of construction. So the first one we have, as we mentioned, was Mishkan Moshe. God tells Moses how to build it. So inside were the vessels, the holy vessels. We talk about the holy vessels primarily just quickly through them. We're talking about what everyone knows is the two altars. We talk about the holy ark. We talk about the menorah. We talk, talk about the table of the showbreads. That's in general. That always existed in every single one of the Mishkan slash holy temples. However, the walls and the roof were different. In the desert, they were made of beams that lined up together to form the wall. And the roof was three curtain rugs that were made specifically craftsmanship, how they were made in design. And they were laying one on top of the other and that formed the roof. Now, Again, I'm jumping. I'm not telling you every single place where it stopped and how. I'm just talking about the evolution of the edifice of the Holy Temple. We got to Mishkan Shiloh. Shiloh is a place. And over there, there was a huge change. By the way, it wasn't for just a couple of years like the other places. We're talking about 369 years. It stood in Shiloh. In Shiloh, the change was made only in the walls. It was no more beams that were lined up together. It became solid walls. However, the roof remained still those three 
curtain, rug, rooftops. Okay? Then, again, I'm jumping through history. And what happens? King David turns around to Prophet Nathan and says, How could it be that I am living in a palace and God is living in a tent? And King David was the first one who had that thought to establish a permanent edifice for the Holy Temple. However, as you know the history, God tells King David, your hands are full of blood. This is the house of peace. So not you, but your son will actually build it. And the son's name is Shlomo. Ki shalom There will be peace in his days. So King David is the one that prepared everything. However, King Solomon is the one that really built it. Okay? That stood for 405 years. And now we have a Bet HaMikdash, a holy temple, which has walls and a roof. Okay? So now we already don't have the curtains either. Then there is the destruction of the Babylon, destruction of the holy temple, the first holy temple. They go into exile for 70 years. Ezra the scribe then returns with the Jewish people to Israel and they build a second holy temple. The second holy temple, from an edifice point of view, was again a permanent walls and a roof. Now, the second temple itself went through evolution. In other words, there was the famous King Herod, who just totally redid the holy temple, beautified it to the point where the Talmud says, he who did not see the holy temple that was built by Herod has never seen a beautiful building in his lifetime. But I'm focusing now not on the beautification, but the evolution of the mobile beam curtain holy tabernacle built by Moses to the full-blown edifice of the first temple and the second temple. Just a FYI for your information. The difference in the first temple and the second temple, the second temple stood for 410 years, and the second temple was missing certain items. For example, the holy ark. We're taught by our sages that Tasefta says that King Yoshio, when he foresaw the Babylonian coming and uh, to destroying the temple, he actually hid the holy ark so it wouldn't end up in their hands. We have never found that holy ark. In the second temple, the holy ark was one of the couple of items that did not, it just wasn't there. But again, tonight I'm not focusing on what's going on inside the temple as much as I'm focusing on the edifice of the temple. Okay? So I just shared with you a very brief timeline how we went from beams covered with gold to with beautiful rug, rugs on top to a full-blown beautiful building in Jerusalem. King David is the one that moved it to Jerusalem. There's a whole story of what happened when he was moving the ark to Jerusalem, so forth and so on. Okay? Now, with that being taken care of, again, I just want to tell you that the question of the plural them is already the Torah prophetically speaking of all this evolution up to the one which Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, we will build. Now let's focus on a teaching, okay? The teaching comes from a Medrash, Medrash Shmuel, I believe, and a Vayikor Rabbah, Medrash Rabbah, and it says as follows. The wording, let me first use the wording. The wording of the verse is, and they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell within them. 
this word for me in Hebrew it's one word Li Va'asu Li that word Li means for me now you remember last week I spoke about this word Li in our class and I quoted to you the same teaching I'm about to quote to you now everywhere where the Torah states the word Li it does not move it does not budge forever and then the Medrash goes on to say as an example what does it say by the building of the Holy Temple it says okay simply speaking what is this teaching telling us that the Holy Temple is eternal for me and the sages teach us wherever the Torah uses the word Li for God it is Enozaz it's unchangeable and it's eternal so the Holy Temple is eternal and unchangeable simple teaching by the way in parentheses you remember that last week we explained why because the word Li refers to what the essence of God upon which it says I am God I did not change so we spoke about that once you hit that unchangeable eternal essence of God we can say it doesn't budge it is was and always will be as is that was last week this week we're going to ask a very obvious question how can the Medrash say that concerning the Beta Migdash, it says the word Li for me, which is unchangeable and eternal. When A, I clearly just listed to you the change from the tabernacle, which is mobile, into the full blown permanent edifice on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which ends up being destroyed. So, how can you say the word Li concerning the Beta Migdash? and extrapolate and expound upon this word that it means it's unchangeable and it is eternal when we know factually speaking historically speaking the holy temple was changed it evolved from Mishkan Moshe to Mishkan Shiloh which evolved into the first temple which evolved into the second temple which was destroyed and we're still waiting for the rebuilding of a holy temple so if this be the case the teaching of the Medrash is a beautiful poetry, but it doesn't stand historically, factually. So how does the Medrash say that? Now obviously you realize the question, I pronounced it very wrongly. If the Medrash says it is factual and it is historical, we just got to understand what we're not seeing right. But from the simple human approach, it seems to be that this Medrash is poetry but not factual God forbid so thus we need to understand this so to answer this our sages introduce a very interesting concept you actually had it in last week's Torah portion the Torah portion of Mishpatim if you remember God tells the Jewish people that I'm going to send an angel that will lead you right and he warns don't disobey this angel because it doesn't understand compassion it just knows right and wrong it has my name within it so behave right okay then I want to just read to you the words that it says 
Behold, I am sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. So Rashi quotes these last three words that I have prepared. and says, what is that? What does that mean? He gives a simple interpretation and then he brings on the Medrash. And what does the Medrash say? I'll read to you what it means. Rashi comments, my place is already recognizable opposite it. Very interesting. Opposite it. This is one of the verses that state that the heavenly temple is directly opposite the earthly temple. Very interesting. A very simple teaching. One of the many teachings in which we are taught that there is a holy temple, a heavenly temple above, and that heavenly temple is very deeply connected and geographically aligned with the earthly temple here below. Now, while this sounds like a beautiful esoteric teaching, you and I act upon this esoteric teaching practically three times a day. Where do we face when we pray, no matter where in the world you are? We face towards Temple Mount. Why are we facing towards Temple Mount if Temple Mount today doesn't have the Holy Temple upon it? And the answer is because it is teaching. Because while God has expressed his anger on the stones and wood of the earthly temple, however, the heavenly temple, which as we just read from Rashi, is directly opposite the earthly temple, straight above it. Therefore, till this very day, that's where we pray. Because that's the gate into heaven. That's where there's an absolute alignment between where the earthly temple used to be and where the heavenly temple eternally is. Thus we have this concept of eternalism in the holy temple. That even though God destroyed the stones and the wood that made up the earthly temple, but nevertheless, that power that it is directly aligned with the heavenly temple is eternal. So much so that it's eternal that that's what we pray to till this very day. Okay? So, simply speaking, we answer the question. Some sages answer the question with this, that when it says in the Medrash that it uses the word li, which means unchangeable and eternal concerning the holy temple, what it means is that even though the wooden stones of the earthly temple has been destroyed, changed, lacking eternal, however, the heavenly temple, which is a line directly opposite it, is eternal. However, this answer is bothersome because this answer only speaks of spirituality. The heavenly holy temple is spiritual. When you read the Medrash, the Medrash is talking about the physical earthly temple. When the Medrash says that the word li is eternal, what's it talking about? It's talking about the temple which God said to build for him. Which temple did we build for him? Not the heavenly one. We built for him the earthly one. So it's, it's you're giving a shot. Oh, we mean the earthly, the heavenly one. But that's not what the verse says. 
The verse is talking upon the earthly one. That's where it says the word li, which means physically an earthly temple. And the Medrash says upon that verse, which talks about the earthly physical temple, that it is unchangeable and eternal. So we need to get further. That heavenly temple, even though it's practical to us, and we all pray in that direction because of it, nevertheless, it doesn't completely answer how the Medrash said that the physical earthly temple is unchangeable and eternal. So we go on to another teaching. What is that other teaching? That other teaching actually comes from the Talmud on a verse in Ezekiel and in the Talmud of Tractic Megillah. So let me share with you what it says, okay? There's a verse in Ezekiel that says, Therefore say, so said the Lord God, although I have removed them far off among the nations and although I have scattered them in the lands, here are the words I want you to hear, I have become for them a minor sanctuary in the lands where they have come. So now we're talking about God refers to something as a minor sanctuary. The holy temple, the Va'asuli Migdash, still exists. It still exists within the lands that we are scattered. The Talmud wants to know, what are we talking about? So the Talmud, Tractic Megillah, page 29a, explains. And I'll quote to you the Talmud. Yet have I been to them as a little sanctuary. Again, quoting just different English words, but quoting that same verse. Rabbi Isaac said, this refers to the synagogue and houses of learning in Babylon. Rabbi Eleazar says, this refers to the house of our teacher in Babylon. Rabbi gave the following exposition. What is the meaning of the verse, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place? This refers to synagogues and houses of learning. So now we know that every single shul and every single yeshiva is considered a what? Use the words, a minor sanctuary. Thus the eternalism of the holy temple physically also exists. Not just on the remains of holy temple mount, which by the way I just want to stick in parenthetically speaking. We're getting deeper and deeper, but remember just a simple Jewish law. All you were in Jerusalem, then you all went to the whole Kotel, you all saw the sign. Jews may not pass. We're not allowed to go up the ramp. Why are we not allowed to go up the ramp to Temple Mount? Because of this rule of the Medrash. The holiness has never left. So even though the house was destroyed, the holiness which was housed in that house remains. And Jews are not allowed to go up to Temple Mount till this very day. That's just practical halakha of what we're saying here. The holiness has never budged. But we're going deeper than that. We're looking to see where is the holy temple today? Where is the eternalism of a holy temple for us today? So now we come to the Gemara, the verse from Ezekiel, the Talmud teaching upon that verse, the Mesech, the Megillah, that it refers to the house of prayers and the house of studies. Okay? We're going to remember our job here is to make everything complete circle. 
not just throw words, oh yeah, that sounds nice, house of this, house of that, yeah, it's beautiful. We gotta be real. And it seems to be problematic here. Because if this was really where we're standing right now in both, this is a house of prayer and a house of study. There's a whole bunch of laws about the Holy Temple. There's laws about how you guys are sitting and drinking, how I'm just standing here talking. There's whole laws. There's really laws about the Holy Temple. Granted, there's also laws about a shul and a st house of study. But this, is, this seems to be just kind of poetics. You should know that the Holy Temple today is your local shul and your local yeshiva. Makes for a great fundraiser. But where's the practicality of it? So we need to understand this, and we're going to tonight. However, I first want to share with you that these two answers that I just shared with you, A, the heavenly holy temple, B, the earthly houses of prayer and the earthly houses of studies are not two separate answers. But rather, from the point of view of Hasidus and Kabbalah, it is because of the eternalism of the heavenly holy temple that today the local shuls and the local house of studies have that holiness of the holy temple. So they're both really being one answer. There is an exactly aligned in Temple Mount. There's an exactly aligned there in heaven, a heavenly temple that's eternal, and that manifests itself in the earthly temple today through the houses of prayer and the houses of study. Okay? We really need to understand this. Like I said before, we really need to understand this. What's the logic behind it? Nice teaching in, in, uh, from Ezekiel, expounded and extrapolated in the Talmud and Megillah on page 29a, but what is it really telling us? What is it really telling us? And then, of course, we're going to have to take it to the level of real personalization in our service with God. Okay? That's Chabad. Chabad, we don't float out of lectures. We walk out of lectures with greater responsibility and greater empowerment. What is this teaching us? So, let's first understand a very problematic conversation, Kabbalistically speaking, with this whole notion of a holy temple. What is a holy temple? So, let's go back to the original verse. You shall make for me, they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell within them. What does it mean God will dwell within a holy temple? What does that mean? Why is it so problematic? I'll tell you why it's problematic. Let's go to a verse. Okay, this verse comes from Jeremiah. Can a man hide in secret places that I should not see him, says the Lord? Important part of the verse. Is it not that, now go into bold typeset, the heavens and the earth I fill, says the Lord? So Jeremiah tells us that the entire world, all the heavens, all the earth, is the dwelling place of God. So why does he all of a sudden have a zip code in Jerusalem? Now I want to take it a step further because I want to translate the last closing words of this verse according to Kabbalah and Hasidus. What does it say here? The heavens and the earth I fill. Let's now take this, word, this verse, these words of this verse, Ah, these words of the verse apart. Let me read it to you, okay? What does it mean? That it's not just a finite permeating linear light, the word fill, and not just the infinite circular light, lower I, 
but also the above the infinite light, higher I, that fills all places, heaven and earth. So you see how Kabbalah really opened up this verse. Chabad Chassidus really opened up this verse to us and told us what? That the words that says, heaven and earth, I fill. We're talking here of all levels. The lower level of the finite permeating light. We're talking about the infinite encompassing light and the I fill, which refers to I God. So that means that what are we saying? The entire heavens and earth is filled with the I, the ultimate I of God. No, if that be the case, why do I need a holy temple? The holy temple is where God dwells. We just said, Jeremiah just said, he dwells everywhere. He is everywhere and everywhere is he. The interesting teaching. God, one of his names, by the way, is Makom. You know that, unfortunately, Ashkenazim, when they go to a Shiva home, what do they say? Hamakom yinachem etchem. Who's the Hamakom? Makom should comfort you. Makom is God. And our sages say, why is God called Makom place? Because not the world is his place. He is the place of the world. Which takes it even to a greater level. It's not that there's a world and God knocks on the door, hi, I'm here. It's actually the world exists within the eye, lower eye, and fill. So God is everywhere on all levels. God is everywhere, not just on all levels, but beyond the word level. So what do we need a holy temple for? This is, you want to come see God? This is the house of God. So first of all, you should know the answer is that we're talking about the revelation of God dwelling in this world. It's not that God only dwells in the holy temple. God forbid. But what we're saying is that the revelation of God dwelling in this world took place in the holy temple. And how did you see this with the miracles that took place there? Miracles that Jews and non-Jews saw alike. For example, upon the altar which was outdoors. For any of you that spent some time in Jerusalem, you know it's quite windy there. How much more so on Temple Mount. But on the outdoor altar where there was a fire, the pillar of smoke always went straight up regardless of the winds blowing. The greatest miracle, which the average person did not get to see, even the high priest wouldn't uh, exactly look, but the very holy ark, we learn in the beginning of this Torah portion has a specific measurement, right? Two and a half amas, the width, lined up against the ten amas of the back wall, and yet, when you measured from the outer end to the wall, and from the outer end to the wall, you had two times five. Do your mathematics. Five plus two and a half plus five is twelve and a half. Go outside and measure the back wall from the outside. You only had ten. Which means that the holy ark was the ultimate dichotomy of it had a specific measurement of space, yet took up no space. That's a miracle which shows us that the presence of God was upon the Holy Ark. So when we talk about the Holy Temple, we're not talking about the dwelling place of God as in to negate all other places. Rather, we're talking about the revelation of God's dwelling in this world. By the way, 
parenthetically speaking, not in my notes. But parenthetically speaking, this, this question is a simple question, not just concerning the Holy Temple. If God is everywhere and everywhere is God, over here you're not allowed to spit on the floor without stepping in it to wipe it up because we're in a sanctuary. Walk over there about 15 feet, you're in the bathroom, you're not allowed to think words of Torah. What's going on here? God is everywhere and everywhere is God. So why does the sanctuary have one set of rules, the bathroom has another set of rules? Obviously, it all focuses on what we're talking about. We're not talking about the presence of God, we're talking about the revelation of the presence of God. And the more your consciousness is privy to the revelation of the presence of God, the more you have to behave in a respectful manner. And thus there are different laws for different places. Okay? So now let's get back to this point. What does it mean that the holy temple is the revelation of the heavens and earth I fill? So to understand this, the Alter Rebbe at the closing chapters of the first part of Tanya gives a very simple metaphor, right? What is the metaphor? There's a teaching. For as the soul fills the body, so does God fill the world. So now let's talk about the relationship between the soul and the body. The soul is the life force of the body. Every single organ of the body and every single cell of the body. Every one of your tissues, your cells, needs to be alive. Life equals soul. Thus we know that the soul dwells in every single organ and in every single cell of your body. Yet nevertheless, there's only one organ of your entire body, which is the perfect vessel for the revelation of the soul's dwelling within your body. What is that, my friends? Your brain. Now, through the brain, passing through the nerve system, the soul connects to all of your organs and all of your tissues, your cells. However, what is the one organ which was built to perfectly be the vessel and house of the revelation of the soul's presence in the body is only the brain. And from the brain, it connects to everything. Now let's talk about what is the brain organ of heaven and earth. What is the brain organ? We're talking about what is the organ of heaven and earth, which is the perfect organ vessel for the revelation of God's dwelling throughout the entire heavens and earth? The answer is as follows. It is the Ten Commandments engraved into the two tablets of covenant, which was placed into the Holy Ark, which was placed into the Holy of Holies of the Holy Temple. That brain organ, which is the perfect revelation, I'm sorry, which is the perfect vessel, organ of the heavens and earth to be able to be the vessel and home of the revelation of God's dwelling, the I fill heaven and earth, is the Ten Commandments engraved on the two tablets of the covenant, placed into the ark, the holy ark, placed into the holy of holies of the holy temple. Now, through there, through there what happens? Through there it's now spread out to the rest of the heaven and earth. Just as in the body, the soul rests in the brain and from the brain it spreads out, so too in the heavens and earth, 
the revelation of God's dwelling in heavens and earth is within the Holy of Holies, the Holy Temple, and from there it spreads out to the entire world. Now we understand the second answer. We understand now where the Talmud is coming from and where it's going to. It's telling us that that eternalism of the heavenly temple expresses itself physically where? In the brain organ. What's the brain organ? The Ten Commandments, the Holy Ark, the Holy of Holies. Thus we understand how the house of prayer and the house of Torah study is the eternalism of the earthly holy temple. And thus we can say the word Li because it really never changed or ended. It eternally is all about that Torah, the Ten Commandments, the perfect brain organ. That's what the holy temple is. It's the perfect brain organ of the entire universe. Heavens and earth I fill. That remains intact today in the house of prayers, in the house of, of uh, Torah study, which is all about the Ten Commandments in action. Okay? We can't stop here because it's got to express itself. This whole teaching of the eternalism of the Holy Temple has to express itself, bottom line, in our personal being, and mainly so in our personal service to God. So let's go back to that original verse which started it all. And they shall make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell within them. Now I told you when I started off that there is a teaching that them, plural, refers to prophetically the Mishkan of Moshe, the Mishkan of Shiloh, the first holy temple, the second holy temple, and the third holy temple to be rebuilt in our days speedily. But there's another interpretation to that. And the other interpretation to that is that the word betocham, within them, them refers to each and every Jew. You and me, we are the holy temple. Each of us are the holy temple of God which God dwells within every one of us, them. Now, we need to understand how everything we just spoke about manifests itself within this personalization of them and how does it express itself in our service to God. Now, there are many, many beautiful teachings about all the vessels in the Holy Temple, how they exist within our physical body. And what service each one of them demands. There's the Holy Ark, which is the brain. There's the altar, which is the stomach. There's the inner altar, which is, I'm sorry. There's the outer altar and the inner altar, which are the two layers of your heart. There's the table, which is your stomach. And everything is explained. Today, I'm not going to be talking about each individual vessel. Because tonight was about the edifice, the building, the construction of the Holy Temple. So let's go back to the original state, the way it was by Moses. And what do we have? If you remember, I told you that the walls were made up of beams. And then there's the top, which was the three tapestries, the three curtains, the rug curtains that hung. 
in the world of Kabbalah, we talk about this as the rugs being the outer encompassing power and the beams of the walls, which were covered by the, the, the rugs. The rugs went all the way down. Not all of them, but the first one went all the way down. The second one even hung even lower. The third one was just exactly the size of the roof. But the beams were covered. Other people say that it's not just the beams, it refers to the vessels. But however, what we're trying to get to is there's the outer encompassing and then there's the inner digestible. Two different parts that make up the edifice of the Holy Temple. The tabernacle. What does this mean to us in our service? How does this exist within me? I am the Holy Temple of God. Where within me is there the outer curtains encompassing and the inner digestive, the beams that are covered by the curtains? And the answer is that the outer encompassing service refers to the mitzvot observance. Mitzvot in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidis are called garments because mitzvot is what has God's infinite will encompass and clothe me. The inner digestible service is Torah study. My mind actually digests the wisdom of God. And thus in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidis, Torah study is called the bread within my stomach. Because we digest the infinite wisdom of God into our paradigm until it becomes the ways of our flesh and blood. So we have the outer encompassing, which is where we become clothed and encompassed by the will of God through performing His will, mitzvot observance. And then there is the inner digestible, which is Torah study, where I eternalize and intellectually digest the wisdom of God. To make it just a little bit more detailed, in truth, each one of these are made up of both. Mitzvot observance has inner and outer. Torah study has inner and outer. How so? Mitzvot observance is divided primarily into two categories. One is chukim, statutes. That's which the human intellect cannot understand. It's illogical. For example, the red heifer, of which King Solomon, the wisest of all men, said, I have wisened and wisened and it remains distant from me. I can't understand the red heifer. So that is the distant encompassing. But then there are mitzvot, which are called mishpatim, judgments. This concept means that they do have a way of us logically understanding them. So within mitzvot themselves, there is the chukim, which is the absolute encompassing. And then there is the mishpatim, which does flirt with my intellect. I could somehow digest understanding the whys and the hows of this mitzvah. But nevertheless, mitzvahs are primarily all about observance. So therefore, all mitzvot are called garments. Torah study is the same way. Torah study has the inner, which is the Talmud, the revealed Torah, with the methodical ways 
of the Talmud my brain can completely digest. I can teach my mind to think Talmudically the way it attacks an issue. But then there's also the esoteric teachings which are all-encompassing. So within Torah study itself, you have the inner Talmudic study and you have the outer esoteric Hasidic study. But nevertheless, Torah study is all about intellectually digesting and understanding. Even Hasidus, we're giving a lecture on it now. We're understanding it. So thus, generally speaking, all of Torah study is the inner. Thus, we now understand that we are the Betocham. Not just is the holy temple which houses the holy ark, which houses the holy tab tablets of covenant, which, ha which has engraved within them the Ten Commandments, which is what's at play in every shul and in every house of study. Not only is that the brain organ, which can be the perfect, which is the perfect vessel for the revelation of God dwelling within heaven and earth, but you and I, we are the perfect walking, talking brain organ of the universe in which the revelation of God dwelling amongst us within us is revealed how so specifically through our Torah study and through our mitzvah observance by the way again it's not esoteric it's just practical when you point at a Jew and you see he has a keeper on. You see he has tzitzis on. When you point to a Jewish woman, you watch her behavior, her lighting candles. They point with a finger and says, these are the people of God. Which is exactly what they did by the holy temple. This is the home of God. It's just that practical. Let's not always make things esoteric. So in closing, we know that the holy temple is unchangeable and eternal. It is so, why? Because it is the brain organ of the universe, which is the perfect and only organ vessel for the revelation of God dwelling amongst hev within heavens and earth. Heavens and earth I fill. That's so because of the Ten Commandments engraved within the Holy Tablets, housed within the Holy Ark, housed within the Holy of Holies, housed within the Holy Temple, which expresses itself today physically in the houses of prayer and the houses of study around the globe. We then went and explained that this has to become more personal. It's you and I, you and me. And then we went on to explain that how is this done? By everyone having within us the edifice of the holy temple, which is made up of the encompassing roof and the internal beams that held up the wall. They are the wall. What is that to us? That is to us Torah study and mitzvah observance. Being clothed and encompassed by the will of God and digesting the paradigm, the wisdom of God in Torah. Now, Here's an important thing to understand. How is this possible that you and I should make a house for God? I mean, let's just be practical. All beautiful Torah studies. How is it practical, you and I, very imperfect human beings, to make daily from ourselves, from the shul, from the yeshiva, a home for God? So it works like this. Because the eternal God commanded the eternal tzaddik Moses 
to build the eternal tabernacle, which he physically did. That has empowered us with an eternal heavenly temple, which empowers you and I to consistently be and build earthly holy temples which in, wi in which the revelation of God's dwelling filling heaven and earth is here. And that empowers us by doing this again and again and again. More mitzvot, more Torah study. What do we end up having? That we will bring that word which Rashi says. It says after the building of the tabernacle, after the building of the tabernacle commandment, it says the word vechain ta'asu, and so they will do. Says Rashi, what does it mean? And so they will do. God's commanding us right now to do it. So Rashi says in the name of the Talmud and Sanhedrin, vechain ta'asu ledorotam, for generations to come. Again, simply meaning, what does that mean? Generations to come means that the Mishkan Moshe, they will have to rebuild into the Mishkan Shiloh, which will be rebuilt into the Holy First Temple, which will be built into the Holy Second Temple. But I want you to take back a step and now read the words. Build me the house that will last eternally for generations. Which one is that? The Third Holy Temple. And that's the one that we bring daily by making of ourselves that perfect brain organ for the eternal revelation of God's dwelling within us. Thank you.